Amazing. What an amazing story. Caleb is a part of our Revolution Jasper campus, and he's been a part of our church for several years now. And we wanted to show you that story because it highlights the truth of what this weekend is about, the story of Jesus dying and rising again. And if that's true, then anything's possible. Just like what you've seen in Caleb's story. And I'm telling you, the story's so good. We had to break it up into two parts. So you gotta come back next week to see part two, all right, to see the conclusion of that story. But you can go ahead and have a seat. Thanks for being here today as a part of our Easter gatherings. The beginning of the messages, and we're gonna get into that in just a second. We always take a moment and pray and ask God to meet with us. And so would you pray with me? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together this weekend and celebrate and say thank you, Jesus, not only for dying on the cross for our sins, but for rising again. That is the greatest story. And the truth of that story, God, creates life out of death, light out of darkness, as illustrated by Caleb's story. And so, God, we pray today that just like you met him in a very dark time and place in his life, that you would do the same in someone else's life. You would say their name, you would call them out, and you would save them. And God, as we open up your word now, we ask you to speak to us. Help us to see and to hear and to know the truth that is in it. God, help me to communicate it in a way that is honoring to you and is helpful to us. And God, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We ask everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're new to our church, uh, we've been preaching through the gospel according to John now for a couple years, honestly, going through this book. And, and we like to just go through it slow, not because we're slow, but we just like to take our time and, and work our way through it. And so before this weekend, we've taught through the last few chapters of John 18 and 19. And this weekend, we're going to be in John chapter 20, because in John chapter 20, you get the story of Jesus raising from the dead. So if you have a Bible and you brought it with you, you can turn to John chapter 20. If you didn't, don't worry about it. We've got the verses on the screen. And what you're going to see is John's account of them discovering or finding out that Jesus has risen from the dead. But what you're also going to see in this chapter is how they wrestle with this, how they struggle with this. And this is one of the reasons why I love reading the Bible is because it helps me to feel better about myself. It helps me to understand that I'm not the only one who's slow on the uptake, if you know what I mean. I'm not the only one who can see but not see, who, who struggles or wrestle with understanding reality, because what you're going to see is the disciples. In fact, this is one of the most convincing proofs to me that the Bible is real, because if they made this story up, they're not going to leave the bad parts in about themselves. You know what I'm saying? It's like us on social media. We're only going to post the highlights, right? We're not going to post that everybody about lost their mind before we took that Easter photo, right? We're not going to post that. We're only going to hit the highlights, and everybody else is going to look at it and, and be jealous and think, my family's crazy. No, they're is crazy too. They just didn't tell you about it, all right? And so the proof to me, one of the proofs of the Bible is you're going to see how these guys who had been with Jesus for years, even they struggled with the reality of the resurrection, and so if you struggle with that, you're not alone. You're in good company. So let's go John chapter 20, 
We're going to do verses 1 through 18, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 first, and then we'll stop and chat about it, all right? So let's go. It says, now on the first day of the week, which was Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Now that's important. We'll come back to that later. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John wants you to know he's faster than Peter. That's important. We'll come back to that too. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, the second time he wants you to know that, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, here's the key, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. He must In fact, I want you to say that word must with me. He must rise from the dead. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. So John gives us some details here that the other gospels don't. In fact, every gospel kind of gives certain details for certain reasons. But John is highlighting the fact that Mary went to the tomb early Sunday morning. And we know from the other gospels as well, Jesus died on Friday night and he died getting pretty close to sundown. Because see, a Jewish day didn't begin like ours began after midnight. It actually began earlier. It began at sundown. So you had Friday going into Saturday at sunset on Friday and Saturday was the Sabbath, the Jewish day where they rested from their work. And so when Jesus was dying on Friday, they wanted him off the cross before it went to Sabbath. And so this is where we cover this in John 18 and 19. They were going to break his legs, but he was already dead, which in itself was a fulfillment of prophecy. So they quickly took his body down, wrapped him up and put him in Joseph's tomb. And they had put a few spices there, but they had to do all that before Sabbath came. Now, the Jewish people were concerned that his disciples were going to come and steal the body. So they had a stone rolled in front of it. They sealed it. And they had two Roman guards posted out front. But the Mary and a few women had to go back on Sunday morning after Sabbath to finish the whole burial process because they hadn't finished it yet, anointing him. And so they were going back to do that. But when they showed up early Sunday morning, they were in for the surprise of their life. Because they didn't see two Roman guards. They didn't see this. In fact, the other gospels tells us on the way to the tomb, they were discussing who's going to roll away the stone because it's so large. Apparently, God took care of that for them. And so it's rolled away and they get there and they look in and they see nobody. No body. There's nobody there. So they take off running. And I don't know about you, but I'd be thoroughly surprised as well if I went back to the place three days later where we had just buried somebody and that somebody that we buried ain't there. 
And so she runs to the disciples and tells them, they've taken the body of Jesus. We don't know where he is. And so they get up and just imagine Peter and John, this is the first day of their week and and they don't really know what they're gonna do with their life. This dude that they just followed for three years, they thought was going to come and free them. Now he's dead. And now they hear somebody has stolen his body. So they take off running. And this is the part, again, I just love that John puts this in here because it doesn't make John look good. Because John, on the way to trying to find out the truth about Jesus, tells us he outran your boy Peter. Now, I want you to visualize this. And, and I do think it's a little bit easier maybe for men to visit, visualize this, although this is not uniquely a man problem. But we as men will make a race out of anything. I mean, it's just true. We'll make a competition out of anything. John makes a competition out of getting to the grave faster. I mean, I, was dri- I thought about this today. I was driving to church this morning. And when I was driving, I was in, with my wife in her minivan, and we're driving two lanes. There's a car that was in front of us, and this truck, I see him coming around me. He gets behind me, and he moves over to the side, and then as he gets close to me, you know what I did? I wasn't a good Christian. was slowing down like, yes, you go ahead. I'll be first. I mean, you be first. I'll be. I floored it in a V6. <laughs> he was in a V8. He might have been serving at our church. I didn't know. But instantly he starts to pass. My thought was, uh-uh, sucker. And so I hit it. We're going up a hill. And then he got in front of me. I mean, I was so close. There was a few rocks that hit the windshield. My wife wasn't even paying attention. She was like, she didn't even realize that this was happening. Maybe she did. And she just like, oh, it's whatever. He likes to be people, you know? And I was thinking about this. Like, why is that that we turn everything into a competition? I mean, visualize this. Peter and John. The Bible says they were running together. And I can't illustrate this because I got to preach it six times. And if I ran around this auditorium, I wouldn't be able to preach six times, all right? Because I'm not as young as I once was. And so they're running and then they're running and John's like, "Uh uh-uh, sucker, and he runs faster. I mean, I would have been speed walking. I didn't even know speed walking was a thing. Do you know this? This is a sport. I didn't know it until I saw the State Farm commercial with Chris Paul who switches from basketball to speed walking. I mean, they're, they're walking along, just visualize this, and then John's like, uh-uh, and he starts walking faster, right? John's like, you ain't beating me to the tomb. And he tells us twice. Apparently, long before Ricky Bobby, there was John. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, the movie, the great theologian Ricky Bobby from the movie Talladega Nights, who said, if you ain't first, you're last. John's like, your boy was first. But let me ask this question. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that he was first, watch this, to a dead thing? And it got me thinking. We do this all the time. We try to win and be first to things that ultimately are dead, that don't matter. Because we turn things into a competition because we want to be better than the people we're running against. Why? 
Because there's something in us, we'll talk more about this in a little bit, there's something in us that we don't just want to be first, we want to be better. And the reason is because we hope if we are first, if we are better, you will praise us. It's because we want to be known. We want to be known. We want someone to know us. And we hope that we can get recognition by winning. I mean, think about all the sports that we have. And, and listen, I'm into sports. I love sports. I don't know if you could tell. I used to play sports. This isn't a runner's body. That's easy to tell. This is a football body, right? Which I joke all the time. I love football because I could sprint for seven seconds and then we huddled. Anything else long distance ain't for your boy, all right? But think about football. And I love football. Love it. But think about how crazy we go. How crazy we get. How much our life revolves around 11 dudes getting a pigskin across a white line. Think about that. We go nuts for that. Why? Because if my team's better than your team, what does that say about me? See what I'm saying? We even talk about the goat. What's that in of itself? Like, greatest of all time. I mean, think about the heroes of human history. People that have done great things, like abolished slavery, all kinds of like great leaders that have led us through wars, led us through dark times. Think about the greatest men and women of human history. And then you got somebody who was really good at getting a ball across a line. As if that greatness compares to that greatness. You see what I'm saying? Isn't it funny how we turn competitions into everything because we want to win? Well, even the disciples... Dudes that had been with Jesus for three years did the same. This is when the disciples, remember if you know your Bible, before Jesus died, they're eating the last supper and they're having a conversation about who is the greatest. Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> who's the goat, Jesus? I mean, think about it. We do this all, who, who's the greatest, Michael Jordan or LeBron? Neither. And I'm not going to insert another basketball name. Why is that greatness? When it's a game. Isn't it funny the games we play that try, that we play to try to determine our value when they're just dead? And I think John is pointing this out, again, even though it doesn't paint them in a good light because they didn't understand, it's because he wants to show something here. In fact, you, see, you can't quite see it in English, but you can understand it in the Greek better because he uses different words to communicate something. First, it starts off with Mary at the tomb, and it's dark. Well, darkness is a theme throughout John. He uses it symbolically. Because he wants us to understand something. There's something greater than physical darkness. There's something greater than just physical darkness. It's spiritual darkness or blindness. And so Mary is in the dark, but so are the disciples. 
They see, but they can't see. And what's interesting, he uses the word saw here four times in this text so far, but so far he uses three different Greek words. See, in the English, it looks like it's all the same word, but in the Greek, it's three different words. And you say, well, why would you use three different words when one works? Because John's trying to show something. There was a progression happening. They went from not seeing anything to starting to see a little bit more. And so he's using these words to kind of show this progression that happens in the human life. But they're still not at the place of understanding. And this is what I find interesting. They see all this, and this is the third day. And they were with Jesus for three years. And many times over those three years, Jesus told them that he was going to rise on the what day? The third day. So here's what I'm thinking. All these dudes had to do was count. That's all they had to do. Some simple math. Okay, Friday, day one. Then we got into Saturday. That was day two. Then Sunday, day three, three. He said it on the third day, I will rise again. But they went back to their homes. And we read that, and let's be honest, we gotta cut them some slack. Because how many times have you and I shown up at something like this, maybe even Christmas and Easter, and we saw something but we didn't see, and then we went back home. We just went back to our homes, unaffected by what we saw. If that's ever happened, it's because you see, but you don't see. It's like the best way I can describe this, and a lot of times this is a uniquely male phenomenon, but not always, but there's been times where I heard something, but I didn't hear it. You know what I'm saying? And it always seems to happen when my wife says something, which I used to joke with her because I did have hearing problems as a kid. And there were certain frequencies I couldn't hear. And I said, babe, your voice is right in that frequency. It's amazing. <laughs> but I have verifiable facts. I can show her test records where it says I couldn't hear those frequencies. But there's, there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? You know that. Like, you heard it, but it just goes, and your brain didn't grab it, and you didn't listen. And, and even today, as we're more distracted than ever, this happens because we're, you know, our face is in our phones, and people are talking. We don't hear. So this happens all the time, where we hear but don't hear, where we see but we don't see. But what is it that they're missing? They're missing the fact John says that they didn't understand that he must die and rise again. He must rise again. They didn't understand that. Why is that? Well, at this point in time, they can't wrap their minds around the reality that, you know, most people don't come back to life again. One out of one people die and Typically, one out of one people stay dead. And so they're wrestling with the reality of the resurrection. 
But, but John, is, John is starting to understand a little bit, and it's quite interesting when you see the text. John got there first, right? Because he told us he was first, but he just kind of sticks his head in and sees the linen cloth that his body was wrapped in. But Peter got there second, but Peter, it was like, Peter was like, you got here first, John, but I'm going further. So G- Peter goes further in, and when Peter goes in, he sees not only the linen cloth that wrapped around his body, he sees the part that was wrapped around his head folded up by itself. And John sticks his head in, and, and once he sees that detail, he clues in on some, something's happening here. Because if they stole his body, why would they take time to fold up the linen cloths? That doesn't seem plausible. They would have just taken his body, thrown the cloths. But there was something about the folded up cloth that he was like, hold up. Maybe this is Jesus. Which I could preach this verse on Mother's Day and every mom would be like, why can't you be more like Jesus? When he rose from the dead, he still took time to fold his clothes. Be like Jesus. I mean, my mom used to get on to me for that. My wife still gets on to me for that. In fact, I made the mistake one time when we were talking about this whole conversation about hearing. And when Lindsay said, well, I can't remember these details. I'm like, because they're just not that important. And my counselor told me later that that was rude. (laughs) Right? But this is one of those details. This is one of those details that John's thinking, why would he take time to fold up this nicely sitting there? So something in John's mind is going, ah, because it says he believed, but he still doesn't understand. See, he's starting to see, but he can't see completely. And what does he not understand? He doesn't understand. They all don't understand that he had to rise again. Why? Well, to help us with this, I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I've got it here on the screen. It just says a reference. You might want to write it down. You don't have to turn there. But 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 through 20. This is Paul, another apostle that comes later on, who is explaining why Jesus had to rise again. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's saying, listen, if this didn't happen, we got no hope. But verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, the disciples didn't understand at this point in time that everything that Jesus said hung upon one action. Not just him dying on the cross, although that had to happen. Not just him being sinless, although that had to happen. It all hung upon him coming back from the dead. Why? Because Jesus isn't the first religious teacher or founder or great person who had done something courageous and heroic on behalf of other people. I mean, if you see movies like Braveheart and Gladiator, we love movies like that where the hero sacrifices himself for the good of others, right? So Jesus isn't the first one to play the role of a Messiah or a savior. 
But what makes Jesus different than any other one who has ever lived prior or who has ever lived since is every one of those other founders or leaders or saviors are still in the grave. See, what makes Jesus different is he came back to life again, and it's a fact. It's a fact that's verifiable in history outside the Bible. Even if you say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, you have to believe history. It was verifiable. Jewish historians, writers who did not believe in Jesus said it happened. And here's what we've got to understand. You see, there's a lot of us here today that we see, but we can't see. We, we're still so skeptical of this. But here's what we have to understand. We have to be intellectually honest enough to admit this, that every single one of us, no matter what we believe, are going to die. Every single one of us. That's the only stat you can trust. 100% of people die. It's coming for us all. See, atheists, agnostics, whatever it is that you believe, you are going to die. And I, and I have this conversation with people at different times when people say, well, I just don't believe there's life after death. And here's my question back to them. How do you know that? How can you prove scientifically that there is no life after death? You can't because science is based upon observation. So here's what I say. Die, figure out what there is, then come back and tell us. And I'm not being cheeky. Here's what I'm saying. You are operating on faith too. See, everybody is operating on faith about what's gonna happen to them after they die. They say there is no afterlife. We just die and we turn into worm food. How do you know that? Has somebody come back and told you that that's what happened? And here's what makes Christianity different. Not from an arrogant position. Don't take it like that. But here's what I want you to understand. Because the founder of our faith did come back. And he did tell us. And this is why Paul says, if he didn't, our faith would have been futile. That word futile means worthless. If you want to know what worthless means? Just remember back to what happened to your 401k when COVID hit. <sighs> right? Worthless. The, the word literally means of no benefit to you. Jesus would have been no benefit to us if he didn't rise again. He is only a benefit because he did. Because if we believe in him, Paul says he's the first fruits. See, here's what's amazing. I don't know if you cued in on the word there first. See, John said he was first to the grave, but he missed that he wasn't first. Jesus was first. Jesus was first. And apparently Ricky Bobby is wrong because if you're not first, you're last. It's not true because Jesus was first and he won't be the last. Because if we believe in him, we will rise too. See, that's why he must rise again and they couldn't see it. But this is right when you might be thinking, well, of course they couldn't see it. They were men. We've already established that. Men can hear without hearing. Now, I gotta stand up for my half of the species, all right? This is not uniquely a man problem. I'll give it to you that, yeah, we might be the best at it, but this is not uniquely a man problem. This is universal. It's a man and woman problem. Why? Because look at the rest of the story. Verse 11, but Mary. Mary, female, who saw also didn't see. Look at this, verse 11. But Mary 
stood weeping outside the tomb. So she, as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Now she's into conspiracy theories. They, who's they? Well, you know, they, them. They have stolen it. See, apparently conspiracy theories didn't start at the last presidential election. You can take that for what you will, homie. They stole it. Mary's into conspiracy theories. They stole it. And it gets worse. Look at this. <laughs> Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but did not know that it was Jesus. See, this is why, and men, don't elbow the woman next to you, all right? The men didn't see Jesus, but Mary did, and she still didn't know. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now listen to this. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, at least she's respectful. If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. <laughs> she saw him standing. What's interesting, the word there is standing, the root word of that word is the same word for the root word of resurrection. She saw Jesus resurrected and she's asking him where he laid Jesus. You see the irony of that? Sir, 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 please tell me where you have laid him. If I were Jesus, if you were Jesus at that point, I would have said, I'm not laying anywhere. I'm standing right in front of you, woman. Open your eyes. But here's the truth of the gospel. Mary couldn't open her eyes herself. So you and I can't get ourselves out of darkness. You and I can't get ourselves out of death. You and I can't get ourselves from not seeing to seeing. So what does Jesus do? Aren't you so glad that Jesus is way more compassionate than us? Look at what he does. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. You know, at that moment, Mary's probably thinking, the gardener doesn't know my name. Those mysterious dudes before, they don't, how, how, how does this man know my name? Remember I told you earlier, the deepest desire of the human heart is to be known. For someone to know you. In fact, you don't even have to be a Christian to believe this. All psychology points out the fact when someone knows your name, literally endorphins go off in your brain and it makes you chemically happy, which then creates trust and establishment of connection between you and the other person simply because they said your name. Why do you think good customer service people ask you, do you have a name for this order? Right? 
I mean, you can't get that today because it's Sunday, but you can get it at the Lord's Chicken between Monday through Saturday. <laughs> you have a name for the sort? Why? Because we love hearing our names called. I'll never forget one time in high school, one of my buddies who was just kind of a super witty guy, we were ordering in this place and they asked him, do you have a name for this order? And he said his name was finally. So when they said, yeah, some of you already got it. So when they, over the announcement said, finally, your order is ready. Some of y'all get that later. Those of you that laugh can explain it to them. All right. I thought, man, that's brilliant. But obviously his name wasn't finally, it was Greg. But we love hearing our name called. And I find it amazing that in the midst, don't miss this, in the midst of Mary's greatest crisis, Jesus says her name. See, I said earlier how it's so common for us to try to win at things so that our name is recognized because we want people to know our name. What I mean by that is we're trying to matter. We want to matter to somebody. But what's interesting is, is that is one human response, but there's an opposite human response as well. That's not winning, it's weeping. And we see the disciples trying to win, and we see Mary weeping. Now, this isn't uniquely a male phenomenon and then a female phenomenon because you can have women who are trying to win and you can have men who are weeping. But these two responses show the normal human responses to life. Because here's what we're trying to do. We're either trying to win to prove that we matter or we realize eventually that none of that matters. In fact, life doesn't matter, and it leads us to the other ditch of despair where we're just wasting and weeping. So you got two opposite reactions, both of which are normal for us as human beings, where we either try to win and matter, or we realize nothing matters because no one remembers your name anyway, and so therefore it leads you over to this ditch where you're just weeping. But it's in the midst of those two things that Jesus walks in and he does something very significant. He says Mary's name. But he goes further. Look at what else he says. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Do you hear the family language there? See, it's not just that Jesus rose from the dead. It's that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, wakes us up and invites us in to be a part of his family with his father. See, here's what's amazing. And again, you don't quite get it in the English, but when Jesus says her name, Mary, the next phrase says, she turned. Now, in the English, it makes it feel like she turned herself. Like she was the action in the verb. She turned herself. But we know because this Greek word here is not in the active voice. It is in the passive voice. And what that means is Mary didn't turn herself. She was turned by someone else. She received it. Watch this. She didn't achieve it. She didn't win. Someone else won and applied it to her. 
She didn't achieve it. She received it. And here's what's amazing. In this one picture right here is the picture of the gospel. Because it was the power of Jesus' word that turned her. And this word here, turn, yes, it does mean a physical change, but listen to this. It also can be used in an abstract sense. And I just want to read you a couple definitions of it. It means to turn around, but watch this. It also means to come to believe, to change one's ways. I love this one. To establish a relationship with. Here's my favorite one, though. To cause something to turn into something else. To cause something to turn into something else. You could say it like this, to cause someone to turn into someone else. See, here's Mary in the dark, weeping, and she hears her name. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine that moment where she is in the dark, She's confused. She doesn't know what's going on. She's even looking at Jesus and doesn't know who he is until he says her name. And when he says it, it turns her, changes her. And here's what I need us to understand. You see, the greatest desire of the human heart is to be known. That's why Jesus says her name, because Jesus created the human heart, and he knows that the greatest desire of that heart is to be known, and he knows that nothing compares to being known by the creator of the universe. Nothing compares to that. And here's what's amazing. You get this kind of figure to where, just like in Genesis chapter one, where it was darkness, but Jesus spoke and he said, let there be. And then there was into the darkness of Mary's life. Jesus spoke her name and instantly she moved from darkness to light. Instantly she moved from death to life. Instantly she moved from not seeing to seeing. Cause look at verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have what? Seen. You got to do better than that. Cause I'm gonna get real excited y'all. I have what? seen. I've seen the Lord and what he said. And he had said these things to her. Here's what's amazing. That word they're seeing, again, you don't get it in the English. This is now a fourth different word in Greek that John uses. This word is different than any other word that has been used so far. And it means I finally get it. I finally see it. I didn't see it before. But now I see, I've seen him because he called my name. See, here's what you need to understand. It's the fact that Jesus said her name that led her to seeing him. And this is the invitation of Easter. And this is what we need to understand. So many of us are spending way too much time trying to be seen by someone else to affirm us in their eyes. I mean, is that not what middle school and high school is all about? Trying to be seen by somebody else? And here's what's crazy. We will try to become like someone else just to be seen by someone else. This is what, and you even heard it in the video. This is what makes gangs so attractive. It's an invitation to a family. We got your back. This is why clubs and cliques and teams, this is why they're so attractive. This is why every single one of us, here's what's crazy, want to be liked by people. 
we don't even like a lot of times. Because your heart is so desperate to be known. And any psychologist worth their salt, Christian or not, would say one of the greatest psychologically damaging things that can happen in your life is to not feel known by your own family. Not to feel known. To have a family, a mom, a dad, brothers and sisters who are biologically programmed to love you and they don't. A lot of you know what I'm talking about because you've grown up in homes where you felt like no one knew you. They didn't recognize you. They didn't acknowledge you. They didn't affirm you. I mean, Mary herself, Jesus casted out seven demons from her. She was in prison to the opinions of those that she was trying to be known by. And the invitation of Easter today is this. Listen to me, church. He knows your name. And he's inviting you into his family because he had to rise again to get you back to his father. See, that's the invitation. The invitation today is not just believe that he rose from the dead, but he rose from the dead and he knows your name. And the only thing that can turn you, the only thing that can change you, the only thing that can lead you to actually seeing and experiencing life and joy to the point, watch this, where you don't have to win anymore or you don't have to weep anymore is hearing the God of all creation say your name and calling you out of darkness into light. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to end with this. Paul, when he's talking about this whole thing of resurrection, I would highly recommend that you go read 1 Corinthians 15 later because the whole point of this chapter is about the resurrection. But listen to what Paul says. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, he's talking about when Jesus returns and we are raised together with him and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, we have the victory that he won when he rose again and he says our name and calls us out and gives us the same victory. And I don't know if you notice this when you pulled onto our campuses or you saw it online, or you saw billboards, or you saw road signs, and it said this phrase, thank you, Jesus. What we're trying to communicate this Easter is what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God. And there's a lot of things to be thankful for. God has done a lot of good things for us, but none of them compare to Jesus rising again because when he rose again, he made it possible for us to be known. So today we're saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for knowing me. See, not only is the greatest desire of the human heart to be known, but let me go ahead and tell you your greatest fear. Your greatest fear is when someone actually knows you, they reject you. Psychologists also say there is no pain like rejection. 
But here's the good news of the gospel. Because of Jesus, God can't reject you. Because who you were has been nailed to a cross. Who you were was dead. But now in the place of death is life. You now, in Christ, are no longer who you were. Because he knows your name. And when he knows your name and he says your name, it changes you. It turns you. It turns you into someone else. So let me ask you this. Has there ever been a point in time in your life where you have heard God say your name and call you out of darkness into light, call you out of death into life, turned you, changed you? If not, then that can be today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. And it's not just that you came and you were made like us in every way, which means you put on flesh and dwelt among us. And it's not just that you didn't sin, you were perfect. And it's not just that you died, it's that you rose again. showing that if we believe in you, if we see you, if we hear you say our name, then we'll be saved and we will have the same fate where even though we die, yet we shall live. And so we want to see you. And so God, I pray right now for anybody here today listening or watching that has never had that moment where they heard you say their name and it turned them. And they went from death to life. God, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd say their name. Say Mary, Jason, David, Caleb, Pam, Joshua, Joseph. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you're here today and you hear the Lord saying your name, then you can respond in faith and be saved. And like Mary, leave here today and say, I've seen him because I heard him. So if that's you and you want to pray and trust Christ today, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but you can pray with me. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I believe Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And he's called my name. And so I'm asking you to save me, forgive me, turn me around. Thank you for loving me. 
Again, no one looking around or talking. If you're here today in one of our physical locations and you just prayed that with me, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see it? Just lift it up. Go ahead, lift it up. Thank you. Leave it up. We got men and women going to walk around our campuses and put a Bible in your hand, give you a gift, and when they do, you can put your hand down. Because now you're a part of the family. You have the father that you always wanted but didn't know you could have. You have the family of God now. And no, we're not perfect, but you're no longer alone. So therefore, you don't have to try to win anymore and you don't have to be one who just weeps because God has called you out of death and he's called you into life. And one day he will come again to get you. But then those of us who have trusted in Jesus before, I pray today that your faith would be strengthened because if the tomb is empty, then anything is possible. And yes, this world is still dark. And yes, there is still death everywhere around us. But we have hope in knowing that death doesn't have the final word. It doesn't win. Because Jesus beat it. Jesus beat death. And so we don't have to try to live to be a winner because we already are one in Christ. We've already won. So therefore, we can let people go in front of us. Therefore, we don't have to respond in over, you know, uber competitive ways because we are winners. Nor do we have to be overwhelmed with the sorrows that last for the night and just waste away weeping even though death has come. Because Jesus has said our name. And if he said our name, when he comes back, he will say it again. Because you got a father and you got a family. Father, I pray that you would apply the truth of the resurrection to our heart, that you must die and you must rise again. And because you did, our faith isn't futile anymore. It is a benefit to us because we have the hope of knowing that you will return and you will put down everything that is wrong and you will restore everything that has been stolen from us. So God, I pray that you would remind us today of the truth of why you rose again. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Love you, church.